doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and and Doom. Doom. I want to tell you a story that is an actual Halloween true crime story. When you were a kid and you went trick-or-treating and you came back with your candy, did your parents have to, like, check through it? Oh, yeah. I had to dump out the bag on the table Mm -hmm. and they would go through it and they'd say, all right, pick out you know, four or five pieces for tonight, and then that's all the sugar you're getting. Uh-huh. But, yeah, but my mom, if they were really big pieces, she'd have to cut them with a knife. Yeah, make sure everything's open. Well, there's been, for, like, decades, there's just been, like, this urban legend or this rumor that people are out poisoning kids' candy. Yeah, and razor blades. Razor blades, push pins, all these things. Do you know there's not even one documented situation where that actually happened? Really? Now, there are some cases, like the one that I'm going to tell you about today, where it kind of helped birth these rumors, but there's not one actual documented case where strangers are giving out a whole bunch of poisonous candy. Interesting. It is interesting. So today, I'm going to tell you the story of the Candyman, also known as the man who killed Halloween. Okay, so it's Halloween night, October 31st, 1974. And it's one of those rainy, spooky Halloween nights that's... AKA my favorite night. <laughs> I know. Paula and I right now are like, oh, that sounds like heaven. Yes. Okay, so 30-year-old Ronald Clark O'Brien, who lived in Deer Park, Texas, with his wife, Danine took his two kids trick-or-treating with their friend, another fellow dad, and his two kids. So it's two dads and four kids total. Can't really find where the moms are, so I'm assuming they're back at the house drinking wine or something. Yeah, sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my opinion. Okay, but these two dads, Ronald and his friend, decide to take their kids trick-or-treating. But instead of going in their own neighborhood... They're going to go to the nice neighborhood. For the good candy. For the good candy. <laughs> Did you have one of those growing up? Like oh, one of those yeah. places you knew, like yeah. get the full-size candy bars? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> now, see, I'm a pastor's daughter. So for us, like trick-or-treating, I don't remember. Maybe when I was really little, we'd go trick-or-treating. But as I got older, it was more like the trunk-or-treats and the fall festival at churches, which is the same thing and still super, super oh, fun. Oh, yeah. But you dress up and it's more like a a party or a a festival festival. at church absolutely those are fun too Mm -hmm. and even in those situations my parents would still check our candy oh yeah yeah gotta make sure the kids are safe absolutely okay so ronald takes his kids to the nearby neighborhood of pasadena texas where it's just a little nicer a little more upscale and he thinks they'll get some better candy for those kids all right so they're all trick-or-treating they've gone down a couple of streets and they get to this house where the lights aren't on. And we all know that means don't come trick-or-treat here. Yeah, we're done. We're out of candy. Right. Good night. But the kids, they don't always pay attention to those unwritten rules. So the kids knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, and didn't get an answer. So after a couple minutes of waiting around, kids get bored. They run up ahead to the next house. But Ronald decides to wait just another minute or so to see if anybody actually answers this door. So after a few minutes, Ronald catches up with the rest of the group 
and he tells him, look what I got. It was worth the wait because he had five 21-inch pixie sticks. Wow. Have you ever seen those? No, not that size. Okay, so I love pixie sticks. For those of you who don't know what they are, I'm sure you all do, but they're little like tubes, almost like a straw of pretty much straight sugar. Yeah. (laughs) Different flavors. Yeah, different flavors of like colorful candy. Kind of like Kool-Aid mix. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I know of these big ones now because my son is a fanatic for these there's these machines like when we go on vacation to Pigeon Forge we go to Dollywood and the gift shop as you're leaving Dollywood has this machine and you can fill your own three foot long pixie sticks oh my goodness and you can take as much time (laughs) as you want because they have all the different flavors okay and you can put as much of each flavor as you want in this three foot long pixie sticks and let me tell you it's like a thing it's an ordeal okay and you know we we can't leave Dollywood without one of these see I can't leave without the cinnamon bread oh, oh my gosh <gasps> the cinnamon bre- okay first of all y'all if you haven't been to Dollywood you gotta go to you Dollywood gotta go. It's, <laughs> it's amazing the best and yes the cinnamon bread oh, at the old mill cinnamon bread oh that could be a whole episode but anyway it, it really digress. could <laughs> <laughs> please get the cinnamon bread it's so amazing and get several of them each person needs their own oh absolutely at least okay back to our story Ronald comes back with five 21-inch long pixie sticks. So he gives one to each kid, and he's got one left over. So what does he do with the fifth pixie stick? Depends on what you read. There's a few conflicting reports. One of them says that while they're out and about, they just pass a little boy that they recognize from church, and Ronald gives the pixie stick to him. Another source says that once Ronald and the kids got back to their house, they had a trick-or-treater come, and he recognized little boy from church and he gave him the pixie stick. But either way, the fifth pixie stick goes to a little boy that Ronald recognized from his church. So Ronald and the kids get back to their house. And what do they do on Halloween night after getting all this candy? Straight to bed, right? No, are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, you're right. How'd you know? I used to be one of those kids. <laughs> they want some candy. So like most parents, they say, all right, you can have one one piece so timothy eight-year-old timothy chose the giant pixie stick nowadays pixie sticks are like in a plastic tube and they're like kind of melted shut or glued shut but back in the 70s they were paper and they were closed with a giant staple so ronald took the staple out of the stick for him but timothy still couldn't eat it because it was kind of like all clumped together so he had to give it back to Ronald who loosened the powder until he could finally get some of this candy out as soon as he tasted it Timothy said it didn't taste right it tasted really bitter didn't taste good so Ronald then gave Timothy Kool-Aid to wash that yucky taste out of his mouth which this just makes me laugh again because it's bedtime Halloween you're giving him straight sugar to go with his sugar (laughs) and then Kool-Aid yeah it just made me laugh My mom always had a rule, no sweets with sweet. So if you were eating something sweet, you couldn't drink something sweet. That makes sense. Yeah. Except for when you're a kid. And then it's like the most evil rule ever. Of course. (laughs) I want my sugar now. That's right. (laughs) All right. So Timothy immediately starts having stomach pain. Immediately. Severe stomach pain. So bad, he runs to the bathroom. Then he starts violently vomiting and convulsing. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, while this is happening... Ronald runs to the bathroom, starts trying to comfort 
Timothy. He's holding him. Timothy goes limp in his arms. They call the police. They call 911. An ambulance comes, picks Timothy up, rushing him to the hospital. But unfortunately, Timothy died en route to the hospital. Oh, my God. Less than an hour after (gasps) eating this candy. So it's pretty clear pretty quickly that this candy is the cause of his death, right? It happened almost immediately. It had to be. Yeah. The first thing that the police do is they try to figure out how many more of these pixie sticks are out there. And so they're able to track down the two neighbors, the two kids from the neighbor who had the sticks, which thankfully they hadn't been eaten. And then they found that little boy from church. Here's the crazy thing with him. That little boy who was 11 years old had tried to eat the candy, but he couldn't get that staple out. Oh, good. So his parents were like, when they got the call, they're like frantically searching in his, you know, in his bags, in his bucket of candy. They can't find the pixie stick. They're freaking out. They run upstairs. He is asleep in bed holding onto <gasps> this pixie stick that he did not eat because he simply just couldn't open it. But he wanted it so bad, he fell asleep holding it. Oh, that's so cute. It is, but that is how close it was to this being an even bigger tragedy. Right. And then, of course, the fifth pixie stick was Timothy's little sister, Elizabeth. So they found the five that Ronald had gotten from this house, and they were able to test them. And the top two inches of each stick had the candy poured out and had been replaced with two inches of cyanide oh my god each one of these sticks was enough to kill three full-grown men (gasps) holy cow right now another thing that they noticed and this made me think of you when i read this is when the medical examiner came to look at timothy's body he immediately smelled almonds yep and I didn't know that. You just taught me that just a few episodes ago yeah. that almonds, the smell of almonds is a telltale sign of cyanide poisoning. So I thought that was interesting. And I thought of you when I read that. So they learned these pixie sticks were poisoned. So the police immediately start interviewing Ronald, trying to figure out where these sticks came from. At the same time, they're alerting the neighborhood, everybody surrounding, because they don't know how much of this candy was given out. Right. So they take Ronald to this neighborhood. Now remember, this isn't his neighborhood. He's not familiar with it. Right. And they ask him to find the house where these sticks came from. I was just wondering, is he going to remember the house? He doesn't. He can't remember. And so they're going, you know, up and down the streets. Please put your thinking cap on. Like, come on, let's let's figure it out. He cannot remember. And plus, it was dark, so that's going to make it even more difficult. Yes. And it was so dark, and Ronald even mentioned that when the person opened the door, this person still didn't turn their light on, and they didn't have any interior lights on. And all he saw was an arm come out the door holding this candy. He knew it was a man because it was a hairy arm, but that's all he knew. So he really did not have any information on this person at all, or this house at all. It was really a big problem. So... What do they do? They can't figure out which house it is that this candy came from. Ronald can't tell them anything about this guy. They've got to do something. But the police also are like, how many houses did you even go to? Because it was raining and it was really yucky out. Did you really go to that many houses? 
And that helped Ronald remember, you know what? No, I didn't. We actually only went up two streets. So one more time around the neighborhood, and Ronald was able to point out the house that they went to. Oh, good. It didn't take police long to learn that the homeowner was a man named Courtney Melvin. And Courtney was air traffic controller at the local airport. And he'd actually been working that night. But they didn't learn this until they first went to the airport and arrested him right there in the middle of the airport in front of everybody. But as they started questioning his co-workers, his family, his friends, over 200 people at the airport, 200 witnesses, were able to say, no, he was here. He was here at this airport. However, his wife and kids were still back at the house. And they were handing out candy until they ran out of candy and turned their light off. So which one of them has the hairy arm? We will find out. It's quite amazing, though, that he could have pulled this off with such a airtight alibi, right? Right. Now, in the meantime, local chemical companies start reporting to police that a man had come in in the weeks prior to this incident wearing what appeared to be like a lab coat, like a doctor's lab coat. The person looks like they were a medical official. They looked like a doctor. Okay. And this man came in looking to purchase cyanide. They wanted to know how much it would take to kill someone, and that's how much they wanted to purchase. Now, this raised some red flags for these clerks at this chemical company. I was going to say. Yeah. They were like, no, we, we need certain documentation. You have to be able to give us your license and things like this in order to purchase this. So the man ended up leaving without purchasing any cyanide. But this was just interesting to investigators that, yes, okay, someone was, in fact, out looking for this. Now, soon after Timothy's death, the police started looking a little more into the whole story. Now, Ronald, he was a great family man. He was a good Christian man. He was a deacon at the church. He sang in the choir. He led the bus company, bringing parishioners to and from church. He was a good man, but he was doing some strange things. For instance, at his son's funeral, he was talking about how he was going to get this large life insurance payout for his son and how he was going to spend it. He was going to pay off his car, and then he was going to go on a nice vacation. That's pretty weird, right? Yeah, and to me, when someone's, when there's a life insurance policy, that's like the biggest red flag of all. It is a red flag at the same time. We carry life insurance on, I don't have any on my kids. Um, maybe I should, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I should look into that, but I don't. But my husband, there's life insurance because, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom thanks to COVID. <laughs> if something were to happen to him, you know, we'd be in quite a pickle. So that life insurance would be necessary for me to, you know, be able to continue taking care of my kids Absolutely. and stuff like that. So I think probably most of the time it's a necessary thing. But the way this man handled his was very strange because the day after his son died, he called the life insurance company and started asking how to get his payout. Wow. Now that is so bizarre. It's that very is so suspicious. Weird. The day after your kid dies, you're looking to get paid. That would be the last thought on most parents' minds. Absolutely. And then to be at your son's funeral, talking about how you're going to go on a nice vacation and pay off your car. And right. Stuff like that. 
I understand we all handle grief differently, but that is not a normal way to handle grief, in my opinion. So it was so strange that even Ronald's family members were talking to the police because they were like, he's he's really just bragging about this money. And as police looked further into Ronald, they saw that he was about $100,000 in debt, which in this day and age would be closer to like 500000 in debt. Holy so he cow. was way in debt. His car was about to be repossessed and his house was nearing foreclosure. On top of that, it looked like he was about to be fired from his job for theft. See, he worked as an optician, which is the person who, like, helps to create the lenses for glasses. Okay. So he did have a medical background, but he was about to be fired for theft. And when they looked even further, he'd had over 20, no, he'd had 21 employers in 10 years. I'd like to interject something, if I may. Okay, please do. So his line of work, would he happen to wear a white lab coat? Oh, yes, he did. And it was a blue lab coat. Okay. I didn't tell you that, but it was blue. Okay. But what do you think of 21 employers in 10 years? That's more than two employers a year. Yeah, that's a lot. I counted because I was like, how many employers have I had? In my entire life, I was able to count 10. And five of those are singing in a band or, or something like that. So only five of them. Are like actual sit down office Yeah, like jobs. walk in and go to work jobs. Right. In my entire life, and I'm 39 years old, and I've been working since I was a teenager. So to have 21 jobs in just 10 years, there's a problem there. There is. There's a problem. So the police were able to find out that in January of 1974, Ronald opened a life insurance policy on both kids for $10,000 each. But by October, he'd upped that policy to $30,000 each. Wow. His wife knew nothing about the life insurance. Nothing. Why am I not surprised? So it didn't take very long at all for police to arrest Ronald. They arrested him on November 5th. And his trial began the following year on May 5th, 1975. Now, during this trial, one of Ronald's friends, who was a chemist, testified that Ronald... In the weeks and months prior to his son's death, had become kind of fascinated with cyanide. He would ask his chemist friend, how exactly does it work? How much would be necessary to kill someone? That's also when the local chemical company clerk was brought in for this trial and told to pick out the man who'd come in looking for the cyanide. This clerk pointed straight to Ronald and said, that's him. On June 3rd, 1975, After only 46 minutes of deliberations, Ronald was found guilty. Only 71 minutes of deliberations, he was given the death penalty. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm not really, on paper, I would say I'm like against capital punishment. But in a case like this where you kill a kid, here's the thing. He was convicted of capital murder and then four more counts of attempted murder. Because remember, he gave this candy to four other children. Yeah. One of them was his own. They were collateral damage. He did that because he thought if other kids died, it would make his own child's death look less suspicious. Yeah. I understand his thinking. It's still horrible, but... Horrible. But obviously, what kind of person can kill their own kid? In such a... It doesn't matter what way, but on top of it in such a dreadful violent way yeah such a painful way right the last few minutes of that boy's life he was literally like heaving and convulsing in agony yeah that's terrible 
His first execution was scheduled to be held on August 8th, 1980, but his attorney was able to get a stay of execution granted for cruel and unusual punishment, saying it was cruel and unusual punishment, which, of, I mean, it is. It's gross. Mm-hmm. He's going to die by lethal injection. I mean, I think anytime anybody, you know, gets executed, it's gross. It's cruel. It's unusual, but it's not as cruel and unusual as, I don't know, eating cyanide. Right. So he was able to get that execution stayed. Now, meantime, the entire time he was on death row, everybody else on death row hated him because he is a child killer. Right. And that makes you a horrible person. He was scheduled to be executed again on May 25th, 1982. That was stayed again. His third execution date was March 31st, 1984. And he was scheduled to be the very first person in Texas to die by lethal injection. His attorneys again tried to get this stayed. However, this time the judge says, I will drive you to the execution myself. Wow. (laughs) So he was executed on March 31st, 1984. His last words were maintaining his innocence and saying that he would forgive anyone who wrongly accused him. He was forgiving to everyone else who put him in this position. Anti-death penalty demonstrators did show up at his execution as well as those who were very happy to see him executed and those people threw candy and yelled trick-or-treat at him oh my gosh now after this people only became further obsessed with the idea that halloween candy is often poisoned laced or contains razor blades needles etc but like i said earlier this is actually very rare and the reason why this case doesn't fall into that category is because it wasn't a stranger giving out poisoned candy it was a father giving it to his own kids and the the children he was with children he knew so that's why it's like a little red tape there it doesn't fall directly into that category i just thought i'd leave you with a few tips for halloween safety now i'm a a freak about it in fact most of the candy my kids get we don't even normally eat like i'll pick out like the good stuff (laughs) (laughs) that i want to eat and then probably most of it you know my kids tend to forget about it after a couple days and, you know, we throw it away. And I'll just buy candy for them to eat. I'll buy their favorite candy. Mm-hmm. I just think it's not really worth the risk. And then especially with COVID, it's just even more like, I don't know. But if you are going to go trick-or-treating, any candy that has been opened, tampered with, there's any holes in the wrapper, anything homemade, or anything that's not individually wrapped, just go ahead and throw that out to be on the safe side. Trunk or treats are generally safer than going from house to house uh, because it's normally like churches or communities and businesses and things like that as opposed to individuals handing out candy. If you are going to go trick-or-treating, it's best to have your children maybe wear something reflective on their clothing. Tell your children to walk, don't run, and to stay on the sidewalks. Put their electronic devices down and pay attention. Tell them to make eye contact with drivers as they cross streets and intersections and have them carry glow sticks or flashlights. And then for anybody who's going to be on the road, especially in a residential area, please be extra careful for all the little ghosts and goblins and skeletons and monsters and and everything else that will be walking along the streets. So that's it. 
That's the case of the Candyman. It was really interesting. I love the fact that you chose a Halloween-y themed episode. I wanted to, yeah, it's it's Halloween. That's right. Although that's a really sad, awful story. I wish that one wasn't true, but I did want to keep it in the Halloween genre today. But hey, girl, it's been a week, right? Yeah. In the in the true crime community, Brian Laundry has been found deceased. I mean, we know very little. But it seems like he may have been deceased since pretty much the last time he was seen alive. Again, they're telling us very little, but the impression I'm getting is that his remains were very, very decomposed, possibly even skeletal, which, based on the timeline, means that he would have been dead for quite some time. Right. So we don't know cause of death. We don't, right? None of that's been released yet. I don't think it has. It's just a horrible situation. I hope that the notepad that he had with him tells us something i hope it tells us what happened to gabby and some kind of clues need to come from it okay so we don't know how he died yet and i am definitely being presumptive and jumping the gun to say that it might have been self-inflicted we don't know that that's the case it might not have been but i have had a feeling we would never see him alive again I was worried he might try to take his own life. I think I even slipped a little bit in one of the, I think in the first episode we did on Gabby Petito. And then I kind of tried to backtrack a little bit because I had this feeling that this might be what happened just based on his behavior up to that point. So it stinks because I'm not sure if we're going to get the answers we're hoping to get. I hope that notebook contains something. Yeah, so do I. I do feel bad for his family, and I might get a lot of flack for that, but they are parents mourning a child. Now, that child did some bad stuff, and they didn't seem to care too much when another set of parents or two sets of parents was worried about their kids. So I don't know what to say about them as people, but just as parents, it's just a sad situation. It is. Two young people died, and we we don't really know what happened to cause it all, but on that note, Paula... You have anything for our time to kill? Okay, so last week on October 21st, filming on Alec Baldwin's movie Rust came to a tragic halt when cinematographer Helena Hutchins was accidentally shot and killed during filming. They were filming a scene where his character pulls a gun out of its holster. Crew members were still lining up shots and camera angles and had not yet retreated to the area they normally watch filming on a monitor from a safe distance. The B camera operator was on a dolly. Cinematographer Hutchins was just over his shoulder and director Joel Souza was just behind her. Baldwin was handed a prop gun by an assistant director who said it was safe to use. It was later said the assistant did not know it was loaded. Baldwin was sitting in a church pew practicing what is called a cross draw, which is where the shooter draws the gun from the holster on the opposite side of the body than the draw hand. Baldwin took the gun out of the holster the first time without incident. The second time, projectile flew toward the camera operators, hitting Hutchins near the shoulder, and it continued through her into the shoulder of Souza. Russell Reed, a camera operator, said that she grabbed her stomach and was complaining. She hit the ground immediately. She said she couldn't feel her legs as they applied pressure to her wound to try and stop the bleeding. Hutchins and Souza were both rushed to the hospital But sadly, 42-year-old Helena Hutchins died. What makes this even worse is the fact that just a few hours before, half a dozen crew members walked off set due to the lack of safety protocols. 
including gun safety inspections. Crew members said, quote, corners were being cut and everything was rush, rush, rush. Even Hutchins herself had been advocating for better safety measures for her team. And when they all walked out, she said, quote, I feel like I'm losing my best friends. Joe Souza said, quote, the only thing checked are the firearms to avoid live ammunition being in them. He stated there should never be live rounds whatsoever near or around the scene. Russell Reed told investigators Baldwin was, quote, trying to explain how he was going to draw out the firearm and where his arm would be when the firearm was pulled from its holster. When asked how Baldwin handled the firearm, Russell told investigators Baldwin had been very careful and recalled an earlier instance where Baldwin made sure it was safe and that a child wasn't anywhere nearby when they were discharging a firearm during that scene. A few crew members who were present on set the Saturday prior said they were concerned about two accidental discharges from prop guns. Baldwin's stunt double fired two rounds accidentally after being told the gun was cold, which means not loaded. According to an earlier search warrant affidavit, the film's assistant director, David Halls, handed the prop gun to Baldwin before the shooting and yelled, cold gun. Halls had complaints against him back in 2019 over safety and his behavior on set during two productions from two different people who worked closely with him. The complaints against Halls include a disregard for safety protocols for weapons and pyrotechnic use, blocked fire lanes and exits, and inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace. Maggie Gall, a prop maker and licensed pyrotechnician, said that in February and May of 2019, Halls neglected to hold safety meetings and consistently failed to announce the presence of firearms on set to the crew. Rust Movie Productions said, quote, the safety of our cast and crew is top priority of Rust Productions and everyone associated with the company. Though we were not made aware of any official complaints concerning weapon or prop safety on set, we will be conducting an internal review of our procedures while production is shut down. We will continue to cooperate with Santa Fe authorities in their investigation and offer mental health services to cast and crew during this tragic time. On Wednesday 27th, Alex said on Twitter, there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, a mother, a deeply admired colleague of ours. I'm fully cooperating with the Santa Fe police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred. I am in touch with her husband, offering support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son, and all who knew and loved Helena. TV writer David Slack tweeted, prop guns are guns. Blanks have real gunpowder in them. They can injure and kill, and they have. If you're ever on a set where prop guns are treated without proper caution and safe handling, walk away. No show or shot is worth risking people's lives. So far, no charges have been filed and the investigation continues. That is so, so tragic. Okay, so maybe this just goes to show I'm not really in the business, but I don't understand why we use real guns. I mean, I know they're prop guns, but right. they're ult- they're real guns. Right. They can injure and kill right. you. Why don't we just use fake guns and add the boom and the flash in later? They do have rubber guns that really are completely fake. Why don't we just use those across the board? I don't know. I know they have been used. I read another article, and I can't remember the person's name, but this person worked on Mayor of Easttown and Westworld mm. and said that they used rubber guns. 
and doesn't think it's necessary to use anything but. I don't think so. I watched Mayor of Easttown. Not once did I think. That doesn't look real. That doesn't look yeah, real. That doesn't here. sound. Yeah. I also watched it and Westworld and never once did I think one of the guns. Right. They all looked completely real. Right. I think this needs to change immediately. Let's just stop using real guns. Right. That's terrible. I just heard it was a tragic accident. I hadn't heard any of the other stuff about there being like lapses and safety measures and things like that. And yeah. that's where, man, you got to do everything by the book because if something oh, yeah. goes wrong, it is going to come back to bite you every single time. Yep. Especially when you're talking about you know, firearms and, and right. safety. and Right. Gosh, this is terrible. I've seen a few articles about it. The pictures of Alec outside the police mm-hmm. station just doubled over and gr- like how awful must he feel right now you know it doesn't seem like it was his fault it doesn't seem like he did anything wrong but you would still feel would so still, oh terrible my gosh my heart goes out to obviously helena as family yeah. and but also to alec baldwin i mm-hmm. i have no doubt this was an accident right and then the person who handed him the, just everybody everybody involved right. It's just got to be like, oh my gosh, what if and why and just terrible. Well, if the person that handed him the gun had all of these issues against him in the past, why was he still working? I don't know. <laughs> just a sad scenario. Just it a is. bad, just it a is. tragedy. She was young too. She was 42. Yeah. Paula, we've made it one year. Yes, we have. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Happy anniversary to you. Thanks. Is it anniversary or birthday or what? both (laughs) our show has been around for exactly one year october 30th so this episode airs on the 29th so saturday the 30th is our one year anniversary and i'm so excited and i have so enjoyed this journey with you paula same here there's no one else i'd rather do this with (laughs) absolutely not to celebrate we want to do a giveaway we have partnered with Pies Abilities Candle Company, which is a mother-daughter venture with a heart for inclusion. The company first opened as a small batch pie bakery with a mission to create meaningful employment opportunities for adults with disabilities. The pandemic forced them to close their bakery, but they didn't give up their dream and began to imagine the Pies Ability of sharing their love of delectable, mouth-watering baked goods with the world in a new way, with bakery-scented candles and wax melts. Every candle contains the best ingredients like pure soy wax, cotton wicks, beautiful recyclable containers. So we have two Dolls and Doom themed candles. The first is a woodsy, earthy smell, it's so good, called Buried in a Pine Box, (laughs) in true Dolls and Doom theme. And the second one is called Just Desserts, and it's your more sweeter, sugary scent and they're both delicious they're just amazing they're in a little black tin super cute with our logo on top and we would like to give one away to one of our listeners and all you have to do to be entered into this drawing is leave us a review with a comment it has to be a review with a comment on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts And then contact us on our social media, either our Instagram or our Facebook. Send us a message just letting us know that you did that and you will be entered to win the drawing. And we definitely want you to contact us on Instagram or Facebook because we need to be able to reach out to you to find you if you win. So do those things. We will send you a candle, the flavor of your choosing, 
and it, it's a win-win for everybody. Right. Did you know that leaving reviews and podcast ratings on Apple Podcasts is actually really the only thing that you can help do other than tell your friends and, you know, share our episodes and things like that. But that's really the thing that can help us be more successful. That is what drives a show to be put in front of other listeners. So if you want to help us out, if you like what we're doing, if you want to just, you know, help us be more successful, we sure would appreciate you doing that. That is really, really the easiest and most helpful thing that you can do. It costs you nothing but a couple minutes and it means the world to us. Yes, so thanks in advance for doing that. And stick around for 2022 because we have some really exciting things in the works. Well, thanks guys for listening. Please check out our website for pictures and for links corresponding to each episode at dollsanddoom.com. Follow us on social media and leave us a comment. And stay alive so you don't end up on the wrong side of the grass. <laughs>